Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Today, I'm with Father Kurt Nagels. Father Nagels, a pastor of uh, St. Monica's on Mercer Island and Sacred Heart in Bellevue. Welcome, Father Nagel. Good to be here, Tom. Father Nagel, we can now talk about Father Lewis. You're right. Right. I, we, we always we'll talk see. about you, you know. You <laughs> well, that. I assume that. But I'm sure it's all positive. <laughs> it's Very charitable. Yes. Well, we, we feel like, okay, how are we going to possibly get along without you? Right? Yeah, but you do. <laughs> the Lord is sufficient. Yeah. He somehow meets our need. He meets us at our point of need, and he carries us forward. <laughs> well, Father Nagel, last Sunday, or a week ago, was uh, the Sunday of the Word of God. It was uh, Pope Francis proclaimed this idea that uh, Catholics could benefit from uh, deeper uh, reflecting upon the Word of God. And so, since on Insight, we are going to do that together, Father. We're going to lean on the journey of discipleship through interactions with Christ from gospel characters. And we'll do that today in just a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with the scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Nagel. I'd like to begin with John 1, 35-39. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Lord, we do ask you today that you would bless us as we search for you. We question who you are, where you where you stay, what you do, who we are. And so just bless us as we talk about, um, again, your son and his message for us and bless those who will listen today as well, that they might receive the word that you desire for them. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father Nagel. Father Nagel, do you remember that book club we did? I think it was called The Adventure of Discipleship. Oh, who was it by? I don't remember the name, <laughs> but he had a clever idea. And the clever idea was go into the Gospels and see all the places where Jesus asks questions of characters, the apostles, disciples, and other characters that he encounters. Mm -hmm. And it, the idea was, let Christ question you. And, it, you know, like I said, it was, uh, he beat me to the idea. Sort of <laughs> like, you, <laughs> you know, you want to patent things. I think yeah. everybody that I know has patented the idea of a little button you push and it'll cause a bell, like a buzzer to go off that's attached to your keys. Huh. Right? That'd be nice. <laughs> that, that's my, that's my, uh, that's you patented that. You patented that. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Me and, uh, and most everybody else in the world, right? <laughs> uh, so you weren't first. <laughs> yeah. I, I still didn't even know if that exists. Um, 
I, some, someone must have exi- created it by now. But uh, today on the program, we're going to do something like that, but we're going to shift the direction. And that has to do with us having the confidence and the relationship with the Lord where we bring our situation, our concerns, our questions, uh, or statements about our reality to him. That idea of an interlocutor, a, a, a conversation, a communication that is two-way, a dialogue that happens between the Lord and us. And one of the profound ways that our church has taught us to do this is by leaning on the scriptures and looking at the places in the gospel where Christ is encountering other people and realizing that in the scriptures, Christ is actually encountering us as well. Mm. Not only encountering that person in the scripture, but encountering us as well. Father, do you remember when that idea was like presented to you or it dawned on you, or maybe it happened to you in your own praying with the scriptures? Oh boy. Um, let's see. I'm just trying to think about specifics, you know, those kind of details of timing. Uh, to be honest, I think, you know, I didn't really pray the scriptures until I went to seminary. I mean, in the, all, the, all the time before, I, that really wasn't my prayer for you, you were in the seminary time, I'm sure. You were introduced to Lexio Divina the first year, right? Um, but I don't think, you know, I, I'm sure I, I did pray in that, in that way, but I, I do think it was more along the time, it was later, um, this was not this was not my opening style of prayer of the actual, especially in terms of the idea that I would be asking questions and, but but I think what a, the first time this kind of idea came up and it struck me, it was in, I actually I was a seminarian, and the I, this passage actually is very much something the seminarians, I, at least I did, um, we, we kind of meditated upon because even we had programs so, you know come and see uh, that that's whole idea. And I do think that at that point I was thinking, this is this is interesting. This idea, this scene, and so this actual scene is something that I had meditated upon as a seminarian. And, but I, you know, honestly, the the, the Lexio Divina and the, the idea of the, the encounter with Christ is a two way. That was later in terms of the John of the Cross, Teresa Avila, and later parts of my seminary time. So this is well, something it- was kind of new to me. Yeah, well, for, definitely for me as well. And I think that um, the this idea that what we're talking about today on the program, which is, folks, look to the scriptures as a place of encounter with Christ, the living Lord who is speaking to you, whether he's confronting you, whether he is communicating to you, or whether he simply desires to commune with you, there is a Uh, a mutuality that can happen and grow in our lives with the living God through Scripture. And so today we've identified five Scriptures, and we're going to do our very best to get through all five. And I'm I'm, I'm praying and hoping, (laughs) and we're going to work for that too, to get through five Scriptures that involve that, that involve a bringing to the Lord our situation as disciples. So we're going to begin with the, like, let's call it the beginning of a relationship with the Lord. And and that was from John 1, 35 to 39 that Father just mentioned. And then we're going to go from there to other encounters. We're going to reflect on the uh, the leper who approaches Jesus and asks to be cured. We're going to talk about the encounter with Zacchaeus, 
who invites Jesus into his home and then says a pretty striking thing there about stewardship. And, and then we'll talk about the centurion who approaches Jesus about a very seriously sick servant. And we'll, we'll find that that's a passage that is connected to our uh, the highest point of our life of faith at Mass. And, and then the encounter uh, that, or the, the statement that Peter makes to Jesus after the Bread of Life discourse in John chapter 6. So we're going to cover really a, a range of aspects of our life of faith as disciples. And so, Father, are you ready to go? I'm, yep, I'm strapped in. Do you take us, <laughs> ready do you take not. control, Tom? <laughs> ready or not, here we go. So we started with John 1, 35 to 39, which you read, and it begins with the John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and referring to him as the Lamb of God. And the two disciples of John the Baptist follow Jesus. And it says, Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, what are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, uh, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. Um, Father, when you when you hear that, oh, and then it continues. So they went and saw where he was staying and stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. When you read that scripture now, is there anything that sort of jumps out at you or uh, it reminds you of or it, it, it associates with the, the, the beginning stages of one's own relationship with Jesus Christ? This actual passage, as I said, was it's very much a seminarian passage of the things of vocation. I don't remember it in terms of my coming back to the faith. Um, you know, I, some people know I, I was raised Catholic, but I I wandered off into atheism and you know the sort of the secular life or uh, college and part of graduate school. And I, I don't remember that kind of uh, encounter in Scripture in terms of bringing me back then. But I do remember just that whole idea, what are you looking for? I do remember that striking me in terms of, you're right, Jesus, I am looking for someone or something. Um, that is the question. It seems like this huge question to me uh, that everybody, that's a question that could be asked by, by Jesus of everybody. What, what are you looking for? Because we all are. And so I think it, it, it always struck me as powerful. And the idea of um, where are you staying, that seemed to me to be sort of the commitment of, I'm, so I'm serious about this, Jesus. So I want to I stay with you. And the idea of I, I want to observe you and follow you. And I, I want to really know who you are because when I, when I go wherever you are, I, wherever you're staying, just being there looking around, and that's going to tell me a lot about you, and I'm going to, I want to be there. So I, I do think it's what a powerful question in terms of vocation at whatever stage of your life. Some of it might be, do you want me as a disciple? Do you want me to be marry this person? Do you want me to be married? Do you want me to have this religious vocation? Um, and then later in life also, um, how many married people with, with career, careers also have to, still have to ask that question? Uh, have Jesus asked them, what are you looking for? So again, I think it's a powerful start. Yeah, you know, I, I I literally just noticed this as you were sharing. It says that you know the disciples, they they're they're disciples of John the Baptist, right. and he he's the one who points out the this identity of Jesus as the Lamb of God, and it says the disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus, but they were following him without ever having encountered him, mm -hmm. and it's. It feels like there are many Catholics right. who are following Jesus kind of after the manner of the disciples of John. That's and a good point. They haven't got to that place where 
there's this sense of Jesus turning, looking at them, seeing him, seeing them follow him. <laughs> you're following me. You're actually a disciple. Disciple means a follower. You're actually a follower of me, but you've never had that encounter with me. You've never had that. And I use that word confrontation because, you know, what are you looking for? That's a pretty, like, it breaks things open right there. Right. It's not, hey, what's it's a your challenge. name? <laughs> yeah. Like, why are you following me? Why are you doing this? I, I, I think that, that this passage right here, this is this is a very prophetic passage to 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 the Catholic Church today. Are we Catholics following Jesus without ever having had a confront a, a a communication with him, a conversation with him that you feel is real? You feel like Jesus sees me, he knows that I'm following him, and he actually has something to say to me. And and what he's saying is, what do you want? Why are you following me? Well, that's just it. I I was thinking just in terms of this now. How long were they following him before he turned around? In the sense of, I could, I would just see this kind of an awkward situation where they're following him. He's the rabbi. They don't know if they really want to say anything, but they're interested. And and how long does he let them follow without him saying, hey, Jesus, hey, hey, uh, can I talk to you? Uh, Eventually, it, it could be that, you know, eventually Jesus says, you know, these guys need, they've been following me a while. I'm just going to turn around and confront them. Um, and I, I guess one of my questions would be, could they have something done something earlier and say, hey, Jesus sort of reached out and taken the initiative and saying, I, I, do want, I do want you, Lord. And again, there's that idea that I think many Catholics, there's no, there's no encounter because we haven't actually raised our voice seeking an encounter with him. Well, and when it says that they, they stayed with him that day, this this might point a little bit to that kind of encounter, because it says it was about four in the afternoon. Now, if if I have it right, correct me if I'm wrong. At four in the afternoon is when the Jewish people would have gone up to the temple for the evening sacrifice or the evening offering. Um, you know, like Zechariah, oh. right? He was he was performing his turn of service as the priest. He would he would have been performing the evening offering when um, the archangel Gabriel came to him. And so is there some association there? Like, why would that little detail be brought out? I don't know. I, I, just uh, a mission of ignorance, or I'm not sure about the detail about the temple. I've always, this is a, a huge, a huge passage for the communion liberation movement. And this, that detail is huge for them too. And part of it is, and I, and I'm not, personally um, deeply into that movement myself, but I do know Jasani's writings, he talks about that, as the concreteness of this really happened, and this is not, this isn't, don't go too far into analogy or, or again, sort of symbolic. This is, they remembered it, and this happened. This is a detail to the show. We remember that day because it changed our lives. We know when it happened. Yeah, it, well, in, you think about how many people who have a, let's call it a testimony where right. they gave their life to the yeah. Lord or the Lord broke in. They knew in. when it happened. It is. It's it's very concrete like that. So I, I love this. I think, Father, as we're finishing up this particular passage, just to say, like, what would be your message to listeners who maybe feel like, hey, th- that that can be me. There's, there's parts of my life or maybe my life of faith as a Catholic feels a bit like that, that I've followed Jesus, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever felt like he's turned and said to me, 
in a in a way that confronts my life, what are you looking for? Right. Again, are we following Jesus without having ever encountered him and spoken to him and, and have him look at us and ask us what our life's about? We I think we talk about we think ask I think sometimes we can ask ourselves what what life is about. But what if Jesus asked you that question? Um, and what would the answer be then? Yeah, that's beautiful. All right, folks, we're up against our, our first break. And when we come back, we're going to jump into the second passage. Um, again, you just heard the invitation from Father Nagel. I encourage you to do that, to to turn to the Lord and just say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, I, I, I'm going to respond to you who are asking me. You're confronting me in my life with this question from John 1, 35 to 39. What am I looking for? Come and see. Lord, please give me the grace to allow that question to strike my life and give me the grace to make an answer. And I want a concrete, Lord. I want that encounter with you. All right, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Tom Kern. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel, and we are uh, we're reflecting on well something that the Pope has asked to asked us to, and that is to welcome the Word of God as what it is—a living Word that provides a living encounter with the glorified Lord of Heaven and Earth, Jesus Christ. And we're doing that today by taking a look at scriptures where ordinary people, sometimes disciples, apostles, sometimes it's people on the way approach Jesus or have this meeting with Jesus. And so we're on the second of our five passages. And uh, the second one is from Mark 1, 40 to 45. It's a familiar passage. I'll read it quickly, but we'll see the question uh, or the statement that this character, the leper, says to Jesus. And then Father Nagel, please comment on it in the same way. You know, this, uh, this whole reality of bringing ourselves to the Lord. A leper came to Jesus and kneeling down, begged him and said, If you will to do so, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said to him, I do will it be made clean. The leprosy left him immediately, and he was made clean. Then warning him sternly, Jesus dismissed him at once. And then Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one anything, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. The man went away and began to publicize the whole matter. He spread the report abroad so that it was impossible for Jesus to enter a town openly. Jesus remained outside in deserted places, and people kept coming to him from everywhere. And so there's two, you know, the, there is the statement by the leper, um, if you will to do so, you can make me clean. Um, again, that's the, the, the statement of belief, a petition, um, really. Um, I just, I, but the, the pity that I do will it, be made clean. Um, I just think that, that that encounter of Jesus in terms of the change and the conversion necessary for all of us, we're probably not lepers in some medical sense, but um, this idea that I am in need of cleansing um, and only you can do it. Um, and so to be able to kneel down 
is, is, is stated there, in order to be able to kneel down and offer ourselves for the cleansing, um, do we trust that actually Jesus wills that that happens? Does he want us to be clean? And is what will his answer be to our, our petition? I do think sometimes it, it can be either Either I don't think I, I'm not, I don't think I'm a leper, or that I don't think if I do believe that I don't think I can be made clean, and I don't, I'm not sure Jesus wants to do that. Um, those are two extremes uh, of possibilities of in terms of our counter of, of fallen nature the, of who we are. But I think we we could land on either side of those and, and ask ourselves in terms of that encounter, um, which is which is harder for me to to make the statement to Jesus or to believe that he does will that I be clean. And let's even, let's put in one last one and to receive it. Like how many people right. would say to believe, you know, I, I, am I really open to receive the cleansing he wants? Yeah. I, when I think about the leper, I, I, I'd say something like, okay, so here's a fellow who, it, it, no one, no one listening has leprosy, right? But right. a leper was uh, identified as cursed. And how many people feel cursed in their right. lives? And cursed in a way that means that they're cut off from God or cut off from loved ones. And not only cut off, isolated, isolated. but powerless to do something about it. And so how many people listening, are, are you in a situation where you feel cut off, cursed, and uh, isolated uh, from the people you love in a way that is shameful to you? And it's because of your own doing. You know, that was the idea of leprosy. You have done something that has brought about this curse from God that has cut you off, not only from God, but from your community, from your family, from your loved ones, and you are literally powerless to do that, to do anything about it. Boy, you, you, you describe that situation, and all of a sudden it becomes, I, I mean, maybe, it's not, maybe that's too strong and dramatic, but I, I could point to things in my own life. Sure. And, you know, it, like elements, aspects of our lives where that theme, that existential experience, is clearly part of our 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 um, our, our reality. Um, you know, John Paul II says, when you commit a sin, you're doing something hateful, and you become hateful to yourself. And I, I just that sticks so clearly in my mind and in my heart because I know that experience. You know, you mentioned shame. I, I think there's there's two different possibilities here. One is that you do know what the, brought on the curse of God. By that, I simply mean the isolation, the stuckness, the the way that you've cut off from loved ones or from God. You know deep down what happened. Um, I think there are other people, like some probably the lepers themselves at this time. I don't know exactly what happened. I, I don't know why this is happening to me, which makes it make it sometimes even harder. Why do people not love me? Um, or why, why am I not loved, uh, whether it's by God or other people? Again, sometimes we know, sometimes we can we have an interior, and sometimes it's just a mystery there about, my, again, God, why, why am I not a lovable person? Why am, not, why am I not loved? There, I think, is the idea that um, do I really think that he can do it, and will he do it? Yeah, amen. I, that's, I think that if we want to have a scripture come alive for us, that it, it's a truth, to realize that if we ever feel or find ourselves in that position of the leper, to read the scripture and say, what Jesus did for him, he will do for me. He is doing for me if I permit him, if I allow him, if I take the courageous step and kneel down and beg him. 
uh, and, and just that position of like, I, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Uh, but uh, this is uh, the situation. And I mean, I need your help. I need your help. Um, that That's a hard condition to be in. But uh, I'll just last comment on this one, Father Nagel, and we'll move on to another passage. But I would say that having been brought into that position in my own journey through life um, with Carrie um, in our family life, um, that that had that became the source for the greatest blessings mm. that God ever gave to us. Um, and I, that's a hard one for people to embrace because you don't want the tribulations and the trials and the sufferings, but um, you know, it's sort of the, the way that it can be summed up is that a life that is free from trials and tribulations and sufferings that drive us down to our knees is a life that is less blessed than a life that involves trials and tribulations and sufferings that drive us to our knees and bring us to the Lord. Is that that's that's a pretty strong way of saying it? Well, it's the paradox kind of of the cross and the whole idea of uh, sometimes you know today we talk about the disadvantaged or the privileged and all these sort of uh, words, but sometimes we are if you're not a leper, are you really going to cry out to the Lord? And if you haven't been cleansed from leprosy, are you really going to be as joyful? Um, if you know, it's sort of like the the farther you fall, the higher you bounce back up. And so I do believe that there's that idea of, again, there are blessings in the sufferings that we have. There's reasons that we suffer. Yeah. I, the Father Brown line, one of the characters, I think it's Father Brown, says there's only one seriously sick person, the one who thinks he's quite well. Right. So um, what would be your final word for folks as they are reflecting on this scripture and saying, okay, welcome, you know, how do you relate to and, and, and live in this scripture in a way that will help you advance in your life of faith? I would just, again, I, I'm not sure we identify, maybe we do identify the leper, but to, to ask ourselves, you know, again, to kneel down to before the Lord in prayer and ask, Lord, um, and I'm assuming here probably the people who have trouble, where where is my leprosy in terms of what, of what do I need to be cleansed of? Um, it's kind of it's kind of going back to the the first one as well. Um, Jesus asked, "What you what are you looking for?" And what we're really are looking for is, "I want to be clean." What uh, from what? Amen. Yeah, I think that that's a scary prayer to pray, but it can be a very revealing one. And if if you have a hard time, brothers and sisters, uh, <laughs> understanding your own uh, areas where you need to be cleansed and healed, just ask the one who loves you the most. Yeah. <laughs> ask people around you, hey, what's a what's a sin or a sinful attitude that I'm struggling with that I need to uh, overcome? Yeah, they, yeah, they can help you out. <laughs> I was looking at my second graders uh, at St. Monica's last uh, two weekends ago, I think, and preparing them for first reconciliation. And some of them do say, I don't think I have any sins. And the parents were there as a little retreat. And I said, why don't you ask your parents, uh, if you have a, you have trouble having a list of what your sins are, I bet they could help you. And the parents all chuckled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the next say, parents, you can set the example and, and do that uh, with your spouse in I, front of them. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to the third passage. This is Dr. Tom Carnum with Father Kurt Nagel, and we're reflecting on the scriptures in, in, in light of the idea that when Jesus encounters someone in scripture, he also encounters us through the scriptures in that very moment, in those same 
let's call it existential situations and human condition. And, and today we want to reflect with you live on that and encourage you to go deeper in your life as disciples by doing the same. So the third is from Luke chapter 19, and it's the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the, the shorter guy who climbed the tree. So we're going to read that passage, and Father Nagel, again, will lead us off in a reflection on that aspect of our life as disciples. This is from Luke 19, beginning at verse 1. Jesus came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. Now a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a, the chief tax collector and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but he could not see him because of the crowd. He was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus reached the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. And he came down quickly and received him with joy. When they all saw this, they began to grumble, saying, He's gone to stay at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, shall I give to the poor? I shall give to the poor. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. I, I think here of the backstory of Zacchaeus, he, he wants to see Jesus pretty desperately. That means he's heard something else. Because I think the verse 8 there of the Lord, behold, half of my possessions I shall give to the poor. If I've extorted anyone from, it, from any, anything from anyone, I'll repay it four times over. That seems to come out of nowhere, but it can't really. Um, I think that there's, there's a preparation going on here in terms of Zacchaeus. Again, the very idea that he's heard something about Jesus. He, so he knows something about this man, and it's, it started to work in him. And, and what he comes out with when he encounters him is this, this promise of change, this declaration of conversion and justice, and uh, you know, again, repaying what, what he has stolen or, or taken under questionable circumstances. And so this, this idea of this... Um, the call to conversion here of giving away what I have. So I, again, for me, I'd just love to know more about this little fellow because he, God has been working on him. And I, at first I think, you know, this doesn't make sense. You know, he, that seems like over the top, right? The first time Jesus just invites him uh, to his house, suddenly he has this huge, this changes his entire life. Um, He's giving away his riches, and you can expect that a lot of people were there that he has extorted. This is this is a this is a complete change of him, and to the, the, the very idea that I I can it goes back to again this the, there's an order here as you might be seeing this idea of conversion comes about and it, re, it requires us to act and to give away. So I at first I would say oh I don't know if that's realistic, but if you really re recognize wait a minute. Um, this guy's primed. He just wants, if Jesus, if Jesus actually, if he does have this encounter, because now he has an encounter with Christ, then something, something drastically different is going to be changing in your life. Your, your life's not going to be the same anymore. Yeah, it's, uh, there's so many factors here about this guy's life. Uh, you mentioned uh, the details, right, in the, in the story of four o'clock, right? I think of the mm -hmm. detail here. He's in a sycamore tree. Right. Um, and it made me think that, um, you know, here's a here's a man who has a reputation, right? Not only is it a bad reputation, but he's a wealthy guy, right? Chief tax collector. And 
in order for to Jesus to look up, not just like look over the heads to see the guy who's just kind of climbed a little bit up the tree, you get the impression that he really climbed pretty high up that tree for Jesus to actually look up. <laughs> I, I maybe I'm reading yeah. too much into that, but well, I, I just to interrupt a little bit there. I, I when I was when I was a boy in the backyard, we had a sycamore tree, a huge old sycamore tree. And the thing about sycamore trees is the branches, it's a beautiful tree for climbing. It's perfect. Uh, the branches are well-spaced. They're strong. They're big. And they go up a ways, and then they, they, they stretch out. So what's happening here, uh, my vision of this, which I think is probably true, is this branch of the sycamore is, is going over the road. So he's, he's directly over Jesus. He's probably you know 10 feet up. 12 feet up. That's where this, you know, again, I remember climbing these sycamore trees, but it would have been right over the middle of the road. And Jesus just had to raise his head up and, and there he is. He's right up there. Um, and so I think there's an intimacy there actually that uh, he doesn't have to go that high up uh, because the branches are just, they're, they're perfect in terms of that kind of going over the road. So that's the way I envision this. But I think that's the detail I would put down in terms of the sycamore, in terms of the structure of the tree. That he's he's right there. Over again, the branch is is, is giving shade to the road. That's so interesting. And and what it says in the scriptures is, Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, mm-hmm. not seeking to get his attention. Mm-hmm. It's like he wanted to see but not be seen. Right. And um and and I love that because he could see the whole picture if he's over Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right, if he's over everybody, and like at a safe distance, and then uh, the idea of come down quickly, um, that that's kind of like okay, hey, everybody, stop, everybody, look at him. Now yep. he's going to have to climb down quickly because everyone's looking at him now. So it's almost the complete again exposure where he becomes <laughs> embarrassed by, uh, or easily could become embarrassed by the fact that. He was trying to just have it over everybody, even Jesus, and keep him at a safe distance. And all of a sudden, Jesus breaks through all of that and says, uh, no, uh, I'm paying attention, and guess what? You're exposed. Everyone else is going to look at you, too. Get down here. Um, and then the other part of it is, uh, you know, his wealth is wealth that was gained uh, because of how he treated all the people around him. And um, he, you know, as a result of this, has a greater wealth, and that probably impacted the kind of home he lived in. So walking into this wealthy man's home, which is, let's call it ill-gotten gain, is a way of Jesus, again, kind of saying, I'm just going to walk right in the middle of all of this. And um, and I think that he feels convicted, right? right? And he feels this, I got to change my life now because of the fact that I've been exposed. He was not afraid of me. He didn't say, you know, I, I can't come into your house. Now I'm going to go right into the middle of all of it, and let's now see what is to be seen. Well, it's not just he, he wasn't, Jesus wasn't afraid. He was willing to come into this house. Uh, I think that there weren't many people who were invited to it or would be willing to come to that house because of who owned it. But Jesus says, I'm going to come into the midst of this. It's, it's, it's ill-gotten gains, but I'm going to come into the middle of it. And when I come into the middle of it, it's going to change. So this whole, your whole, your whole material existence, Zacchaeus, when I come in, I'm going to change the change it. And so he, he sees it differently. Zacchaeus now sees this stuff as something to give away. Um, what I've got, I've got to give away because Jesus is here and now it looks different. 
Yeah, and you if you look at key words that identify Zacchaeus at the beginning, it's who is he? Chief tax collector, wealthy man. That those are his like markers of identity. And if you look at the very end, it's a descendant of Abraham who today has received salvation. Yeah. And the one who was lost, he was lost. You you saw him as a tax collector and a wealthy man? No, I saw him as the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. This man was lost. A leper. Yeah, he was like a leper. He was lost, and and yet he has forgotten his deeper identity as a descendant of Abraham. And so uh, it's it's uh, it's sort of like a Francis theme. You, you have to get close to the sheep. You got to get the smell of the mm-hmm. sheep on you. He goes right into the middle of the the place of of that. That's a sign of his of his false identities. And look what happens when the Savior comes and, and saves someone in the midst of that. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I now have to relate to this wealth and the means of getting this wealth in a whole new way. It has to be cleansed. It has to be redeemed. And it it's marked by radical stewardship where he goes beyond what would, would have been required. Um, you know, not a tithe, but 50%. And not just pay back double, but pay back four times. I mean, you see a, an extraordinary generosity, an extraordinary sense of giving away rather than an extraordinary sense of I'm going to keep for myself and find my identity in it. I think that's a challenge today in terms of this passage of how many of us also are looking at that same same reality um, of how do I how do I react to this material situation and the material goods that I do have? Um, if if Jesus is in the midst, if he comes, if he's if if I invite him into my home, what does my home now have to look like? Or by home, I mean my possessions. What what what? How does he change that? So I think that would be the question for this for me. I love that. Yeah. So just as we're finishing up, folks, maybe take the again the the elements of the scripture from again Luke nineteen one to uh, one to ten, and maybe just ask that Jesus would bring salvation to your house. Mm-hmm. For you too are a child of God. You're a child of the Father because of Jesus. May salvation come to my house, O Lord. Please, Lord, come and seek and save what is lost in my home, in my relationships, and in my way of relating to the wealth that is part of my life. Please give me the grace of radical stewardship where I would even strive to be generous and not just do the minimum. I mean, that, that would be kind of a courageous prayer that comes out of reflecting on Luke mm-hmm. 19. Yeah. All right, Father, we're up against the break. When we come back, we're going to move forward and move to Capernaum and uh, hear the story of an encounter with a centurion. And I know, folks, you'll be familiar with this encounter, but we'll get into it in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with Father Kurt Nagel. Father Nagel, we are now at Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. Do you like mm-hmm. the pace we're going here? I'm very impressed. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm moving had, us along here. I had here. doubts, but we're not <laughs> done yet, but I had doubts that we would finish. But, well, we, maybe we should have done the Doubting Thomas passage, yes. right? <laughs> I will not believe until I put my hands in the side. I that will would not be believe a fitting until one. I finish the very last passage. <laughs> hey, maybe we'll, add, we'll put that one in as a bonus. How about that? 
All right, let's 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 stick to uh, what we have right here. It's Matthew chapter eight, five to thirteen, folks. Reflecting on the scriptures, you've been walking with us through the program. Uh, this is walking a path of as disciples, and so now we're going to take a look at the call that we have, not only to uh, approach Jesus to encounter Him, not only to experience the cleansing and healing from those sources of shame and and, uh, and curse that are part of our lives, and even to be radical stewards. But now, what about our relationship? with others, the mission we have in the world. So let's hear about the centurion. Matthew 8, 5 to 13. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion approached him and appealed to Jesus, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, suffering dreadfully. Jesus said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion said in reply, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you enter under my roof. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a person subject to authority with soldiers subject to me. And I say to one, go and he goes and another, come here and he comes and to my slave, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, amen, I say to you, and no one in Israel have I found such faith. I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and will recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the banquet in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom will be driven out into the outer darkness and they will be wailing and grinding of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, you may go as you have believed, let it be done for you. And at the very hour, his servant was healed. Well, there's there's lots, <laughs> obviously there's lots, but, and I would just note um, that again, you may, as you have believed, let it be done for you. That reminds me back of the leper in Mark 1, um, that the very whole idea, if you do will it, if you will to do so, you can make me clean. And so there's, again, that act of faith there. But there's also, I can't get past also the, uh, the, uh, the Eucharistic piece here, uh, that this idea of inviting the Lord in, yes, we're sinful, etc., uh, but to again invite him into our house, invite him to our very self is this is a, this is a passage um, that the priest uh, gives. Oh, well, all of us actually, we all say this at, just before we receive communion at mass. And so I, I would always, I, I would want to bring that in in terms of scripture and our life lived that we unite it with the Eucharist as well. And so that would be something I would want to stress from this piece that. The centurion seems like he's special, and Jesus himself is amazed at his faith. But then, you know, do we have that same faith at Mass when we're asking Jesus to come into our own uh, selves in the form of communion? Yeah, amen. It's it's so striking because you, you, if you go back and you stopped and said, okay, the you know the the bishops, the popes, the the liturgical scholars who were guiding the formation of the liturgy, who came up with this? Yeah, that I don't know. Before receiving Holy Communion in the liturgy itself, oh, let's draw on this passage of Scripture, this encounter with Jesus, and let's make it be the part of the the rite of preparing to receive Holy Communion. Let's draw that right in here, and it. I mean, obviously, what's being done is it's saying, "Hey, folks, pay attention." You're you're supposed to be like the centurion with your faith as you approach Holy Communion. Do you realize what's happening in Holy Communion? Do you realize the authority of the one who is coming to you in Holy Communion? You know, all of those like very beautiful associations are intended to be more than just, oh, it's it's a reference to this scripture. It's so much more meaningful than that. And 
again, the whole idea of, you know, again, non dignus. I'm not worthy that you should enter into my room. Do I, what's my attitude? I think sometimes at mass, I think I'm plenty worthy enough. What's going on here? You know, this, we can just, our mind can go f- far off. And in terms of, do we, do we recognize who the, the exalted nature of, of who we are receiving um, to be able to say, you know, I'm going to act out of faith and I, I do believe that you are who you say you are, Jesus, and that I am not worthy, but I'm inviting you because I know that you, that you can do this. You love me enough to do this favor, this gift uh, of a healing, not of the servant, but of myself. Um, so again, we're both, the, we're both the centurion and the servant here in terms of that proclamation in, in, at Mass. But I do think that for, it's, it's, the question is not, and I think for most of us, sometimes even myself included, is do we, do we have faith in that moment? Because again, there's in Mass, we ring the bells at the elevation, et cetera, in the, in the consecration because we want to be brought back into awareness from our daydreaming or whatever we're at to, to recognize the, the awesome thing that's happening there at the altar. This is a similar thing to ringing of a bell in some ways. It's a, let's, let's call us back to recognize that we are not worthy about what's to happen, but he's going to do it anyway. Uh, come back to that humility and faith. Um, so it's that call to come back. Well, and I, I love that. And I think about the, like the, let's call it the dynamic of the passage is that here's a centurion who takes the initiative to come to Jesus, not for himself, mm-hmm. and he's not just curious. No, he's desperate on behalf of another. He's desperate on behalf of his servant, lying at home, paralyzed, suffering dreadfully. And folks, part of your life of faith is going to involve not just your own suffering, mm-hmm. trials and tribulations, but the God-given gift and call that you have to intercede on behalf of others, to go to the Lord and to bring before his face those who are lying at home, paralyzed, suffering dreadfully. And it might be from anxiety. It might be from loneliness. It might be depression. It might be some kind of failure or brokenness that they labor with, a mental illness or um, some kind of you know neurological, biochemical, uh, physical reality. Or maybe it was a relational problem or difficulty or financial, you know, uh, a career or uh, a desire to to get married. Right? There's a hundred situations where you have a connection to them. Oftentimes I'm talking now to parents and grandparents and great grandparents that are listening to the program and you have a stewardship, bring your loved ones, your beloved before the Lord and just say, Lord, my, my son, my daughter, my grandchildren, my, my, you know, they are, they are at home and they are, they are frozen. They are stuck. They are, they're unable to move forward. Lord, please. I, and go ahead. I think also of those, I think it's a question of lack of faith for some. That there's faith crisis in the family, and how many people go to mass and leave others that they love very much at home because that person doesn't believe anymore or never did believe, and they're they're concerned for this person's welfare and soul and salvation. And there's one of the saddest things is when there's those divisions of belief in a family or in a marriage where you're going to mass by yourself 
uh, or there's somebody at home who no longer comes. I think that also can be a, a, a source of, of great need and suffering for both. Yeah, amen. So folks, in this passage, just again, a final word of encouragement, just realize that the Lord has authority and that we are given in the Mass itself the language of the centurion. Well, prayed at Mass well, intentionally, consciously, um, but live it outside of Mass too. Take up that role as intercessor. Take up that role of bringing before the Lord your loved ones, knowing that the Lord is ready, willing, and able, and desires to come and bring the power to set free, the power to heal, because your faith has been engaged. So, Amen. All right, Father, we're up against a break. When we come back, we have one more passage. This is from John 6, 63. It's the Bread of Life Discourse, and it's the very end of it. And we'll dig into that in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. Father Nagel, we're now at John 6, 63 to 69, the end of the Bread of Life Discourse. I'm the Bread of Life, and uh, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood shall have life within them. And here's the end of it. And I'm going to read it. And again, we'll, we'll do this as our final passage of like living lives as disciples and having an encounter with Jesus. Jesus said, it is the spirit that gives life while the flesh is of no avail. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And Jesus said, for this reason, I've told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. You know, for me, just reading that, I think that the ending or the, the questions um, of conviction here Jesus asking each one of us, do you want to leave me? Um, and, I, you know, and then that's something we could honestly ask ourselves. Are there times when, in fact, our faith has been tested, we don't know, and they're filled with doubt, or that we're tired of you know, whatever? And then the answer, which isn't, you know, it's not this rousing, you betcha, of course, why do you even ask, Lord? But it's, Master, to whom shall we go? Uh, he's almost saying, we have... We don't have any choice uh, because we our faith has led us here, and we know that you're we are the one, you're the Messiah, the Holy One of God, and so as tough as it can be sometimes, and as much as we don't understand, and I think that's a really a, a reality in these days. I think this is the world and the church is just a very strange time, so I think this could be a very real uh, dialogue here. Uh, do you want to leave, and where shall we? You know, again, Master, to whom shall we go? Um, so to be able to pray in that, in terms of um, is that my attitude too, that I, I'm not looking for outs, I'm not looking for alternatives, um, I'm in it, I'm in this faith, in this relationship with Jesus for the, for the eternal hall, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with, with Peter and with, with Jesus and the Twelve, and um, even though in the midst of the strangeness of this, what happened there at, at uh, John 6, but, but whatever happens in your life as well, those two questions, do you also want to leave? Master, to whom shall we go? Well, and Father, okay, so let's get concrete here. It says just before that, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Right. And that was because of a teaching about the Eucharist that they just couldn't wrap their minds around. Mm -hmm. What would you say would be some examples of whether it's a teaching or a you know, uh, a moral stance 
that the church is taking today that has led to this, let's call it a confrontation, where many disciples returned to their formal way of life and no longer accompanied him. And it's now up to us to ask the question, are we going to leave too? You know, I don't think it's so much the real presence, although that's crucial and there's faith issues there in terms of uh, Catholics, I, I know that. But I think it's all about the human person today. I think the human person's under attack from all sorts of directions. Uh, and it, it deals with, again, um, reproduction, human sexuality. It's about gender. It's about marriage. All those things are related, by the way. It's, all, it's Christian anthropology, uh, the human person. The world says the human person is something that's false, and, but it's, it's very difficult now to, I think, claim to be and protect and, and uh, hold and believe what 100 years ago would have been pretty obvious, but now, actually for thousands of years would be pretty obvious, but now it's, it's just deeply under question. So I think those are the issues that you're dealing with here right now in terms of many leaving and the question today, am I going to or am I going to stick with Jesus? Well, and you think about it and it's like, what does it mean to quote unquote leave? Because um, folks can, you know, they're not moving out of their home. They're not, um, they're not, not even, you know, they're not leaving their job necessarily. Right? Sometimes maybe both of those things do happen, but that's a, that's a rare case. But I, I would say that it's, it, it's very uncomfortable to follow Jesus. I think of Mark 9, where Jesus says, the one who denies me or my teaching, I will deny when I come with the, with the angels in, in the presence of the Father. Like you're on the sidelines watching a volleyball game or a basketball game, or you're at a, a gathering at, at school, and all of a sudden you have some parents saying, oh, isn't it terrible what the church just said about the transgender movement and, and how that's just killing our kids. And what do we do? Do right. we have an answer? Do we have something that we speak with confidence or do we cower away and just smile and, and just nod some kind of half assent and take two steps back? I agree. That's, those are, those are good questions. I mean, and I think those are the real questions, the follow up from these two, uh, priests and, and lay people, uh, Jesus, I think it's a real question he can ask us. Do you want to leave? And yeah. as you say, what that looks like is, um, I just can't accept it. I just don't buy what you just said, Jesus. It was too weird. Because again, the idea of this is my flesh, this is my blood, you could eat and to drink it, that was very strange. But you know what? Uh, it's the truth. It's, it'll set us free. Similarly, in terms of who we are, in terms of sexuality and gender and et cetera, um, there's some just basic truths that um, to stand up for these days, it's going to be isolation and, and ridicule, at, sometimes at, at the least. All right. Father, we've got 30 seconds left. What's that? We made it. We did it. So what do you want to say in the final 30 seconds to folks well, listening today? First off, congratulations, Tom. We did it. Uh, that's very <laughs> unusual. Um, and so it's all due to you and your driving and striving. I guess I would say to the people, I do think there's that idea of looking looking for questions that Jesus asks in the scriptures. I think that actually is a pretty good, you know, again, they're being asked of you. Uh, and me. And so uh, sometimes people think, well, Lexio Divina is kind of boring, but not if you ask those questions and say, okay, uh, if he's talking to me, how would I answer that question? Yeah. Yes. Amen. Well, thank you, Father Nagel. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And we are at the end of our program. Uh, thanks so much. God bless you. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.